Hello friends, this is Matthew, the parish pastor at Trinity Eastside. Welcome to the Trinity Podcast. I'm going to read to you today from a passage in Romans 8, a well-known, well-loved passage at the end of the chapter. So I'll read verses 31 to 39 and then pray and share some reflections with you. Paul writes, What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son but gave him up for us all, will he not also with him give us everything else? And who will bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is going to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died. Yes, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we are grateful today for these words, even if they seem so incongruent with what life feels like right now. We thank you, God, that you fight for our hearts by speaking against the grain of all that is happening around us and saying, if God is for us, who can be against us? Lord, would you help our hearts to open up large enough in this moment to receive that promise from you? Would you please let us take it in all the way and believe it? Let it reshape our our understanding of what is happening right now in the world and what is coming um, one day for our world. We ask God uh, for your Holy Spirit to be with us now. Come Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. So if you've been in church for a bit, you probably have heard this. It's very, very well-loved, famous part of Romans 8. Romans is uh, Paul's um, Sistine Chapel. It is a letter that he wrote to a church that he had not yet visited, but he had heard that even though this church was in the most important city in the world, the capital of the world at the time, that it was rife with division, specifically along racial lines between Jews and Gentiles. And so he writes this master opus to address these divisions in the church to simply um, to argue that essentially there's an incompatibility with the gospel of Jesus Christ and living in hostility towards one another. Rather, in fact, what we're called to do is to understand the world as it is, to see it through God's eyes and to understand God's doing something about it, and then to give ourselves to the work of bringing that world about, or at least a foretaste of it, which is how the whole book ends. The last several chapters of Romans are the really practical working outs of, so what does it mean then to be citizens of God's kingdom? What does it mean to practice for heaven here and now? And we come today to this end of chapter 8, and 8 is like the pivot point in the letter where everything up to this has been essentially describing the world that we live in, 
It's been uh, a discussion around the brokenness, the pervasive and persistent brokenness of the world, the sin that we all bear as a part of that brokenness, the part that we all play in the brokenness. He says in Romans 3, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which is to say we have failed to live up to God's vision for what human beings are made for. Our Bibles begin with this beautiful picture of what human life is meant to be. It's image bearers. It's people who reflect and resemble God on the earth. But we have all sinned and failed to live up to that beautiful image. And the result of that, Paul says in Romans 6, is death, injustice, universal suffering. That that our failure to live up to that, for all have sinned and fallen short, our falling short has not come without consequences. And those consequences have been dire and everything, including the created world, not just human beings who inhabit this world. Everything is paying the price for it. And yet, God ins- uh, Paul insists, God has not given up on his human project. He is working and he will not give up. All things, he says, are being worked together by God, even the broken things, even the sinful things. God is working all things together for good because God is never giving up. And so the word he gives for this moment that we live in, between what is and what will be, between the justice that we know in our bones we uh, are made for and the injustice that circles all around us, the word he gives for our reaction to this is the word groan. It's a great word. And he says it in multiple times in Romans 8. He says the creation is groaning, the trees are groaning, the, the, the squirrels are groaning, everything's groaning. And we are groaning along with all of creation, he says. And then the Spirit is groaning along with us. The Holy Spirit is also groaning. So God and his created world and his image-bearing people are all in a p- perpetual state of groaning. Now, why do we groan? Why is everyone groaning? Well, it's because we can see all around us the reality that things are not as good as they are meant to be. There is so much around us that is good. We see signs of it all over the place, but there is so much that is broken. Broken at a fundamental level, broken at a systemic level. But it is too simplistic to say that systems are the problem, that institutions are the problem. Systems are designed and built and maintained by people. People are the problem too, and the systems that they engineer. And so in our current conversation right now, course we're talking about racial justice a lot we're going to keep talking about it it matters too much to take our eyes off of it it's not simply enough to blame individual acts of racism to say well we just need to you know sort of quote change the heart it's not enough we have to recognize that there actually are systems that are broken that the structures are designed to create two or maybe even multiple different experiences of rights and privilege in this world and that those those systems are designed on injustice it's not justice that's governing those things So there's something that needs to be done civically. There's legislation that needs to be passed. But we're not going to legislate ourselves out of this problem. It's not simply enough. Civic engagement is uh, is something to be taken seriously by every person who calls himself a part of God's family. And yet it's not the answer all by itself. We also have to be working hard to root out within us the racism, the wickedness, the evil, the white supremacy that that is pervasive in so many of our hearts. And in this in-between space, just even around the issue of race, but you can do it in any number of issues, economic disparity around the world, um, militarism, and the way the power is used to oppress and suppress people, whatever the issue is, we live in this in-between space and we do two things, Paul is saying. One, we see it for what it is. We see that it is wrong. We see it for what it is. And two, in anticipation of the world that is, we groan and we work. We groan and we work. 
And Paul says it another place in, in one of his letters, one of his Corinthian letters. He talks about how hard it is. He talks about how hard this work is, the amount of opposition he's facing, betrayal even, suffering and sabotage, stonings and imprisonments, and so on. And he says, but we do not lose heart. How is it possible? How is it possible for him not to lose heart? Well, it's because of what he says here in Romans 8. If God is for us, then who uh, can be against us? Of course, the answer is a lot of things can be against us, Paul. There's a lot of resistance. There's a lot of opposition. There's no smooth and easy road ahead for us. But the question Paul is asking is not who can be against us and then we're supposed to list it. He's saying, can you work and strive and labor as one who is certain of the outcome, even if all along the way you have lots of reasons to doubt it? Can you set your face and move forward no matter what opposition comes? He says God is for us. Now, how is God for us? Paul gives us a couple more ways that God's for us. He says God has justified us. So when people accuse us, uh, when our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. He justifies us. In other words, we don't justify ourselves. Our lives do not justify us. But it is God who has actually given us the power. God has actually given us the strength. It is God through Jesus Christ that has made us ultimately good and right and acceptable in his sight. And so because of that, um, so because of that, even when we fail along the way, the only word that really matters about you and me has been spoken already over us and it is, and it is justified. It is made right. And the second thing he says is that God brought this about through his own son. He gave us even his own son. And how will he not also along with Christ give us all things? God has gone, in other words, Paul wants you and me to know, God has gone all the way in on his human project. He has not held back anything. He has not even held back himself. You and I don't need to wonder if God will finish what he set out. He has committed even his own life, the life of his son, for us. And so Paul then acknowledges that along the way, we're going to forget this. We're going to feel Um, As he quotes, like sheep to be slaughtered, all day long we are being killed. He quotes Psalm 44, a, a, a national song of lament. A song that begins with these words, We have heard from our fathers what you've done for previous generations. Where is your saving power today? You have sold us out for a trifle to the nations. You have made us a byword and a taunt to our neighbors. This is, this is what Paul is leaning on. He's like, we will feel along the way sold out. We will feel lamentation. Indeed, we should feel lamentation. There is much to lament. But he insists, even after quoting that, no. Even in all these things, even in the heartbreak, even in the injustice, even in the sufferings, we are more than conquerors through his love. Our resilience to keep going is birthed in his love. And so let me just ask you this question. In closing, do you know his love? Have you felt his love recently? Have you slowed down enough this week to let him love you? To simply sit, for example, with like the 23rd Psalm. It's very easy right now to feel like our world is out of control, our life is out of control, everything's out of control. And to just sit with God is my shepherd. God is the shepherd of my souls. I lack nothing. He knows what I need. He leads me. He cares for me. He guides for me. And just sit in the midst of a pandemic, as case numbers are surging, as economic uncertainty looms, as the political climate all around us somehow finds a way to become even more aggressive and heated, as social distancing just continues to wear us down and the reality of an uncertain fall becomes more likely every day, 
And as racial wake, uh, as racial reckoning wakes up so many of us to just how much needs to change and and needs to change now, as all this is going on, what shall separate us from love? You and I are right now surrounded by love. Earlier in Romans 8, Paul has said that it is love that has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That God's love literally fills us in this moment, surrounded and filled with love. And so, groan. May you groan like a person with clear eyes and a heart that is wide open to suffering around you. And may you fight like a person who is unconquerable. And may you never move too far from the love that holds you and me and the future of all things. Grace to you. Peace. You are loved. I hope to see you very soon.